Amen. For all of you who always ask, is there anything that you could do for me? I have found something that you could do for me. If you're a male, you could sing in the choir so that I don't have to be up there. <clears throat> but, uh, and ladies, we will make more room for you to sing in the choir as well. And uh, <clears throat> if you would, uh, find 1 Samuel chapter 14 this morning. But this morning, I want to just tell you up front today that if you do not want this sermon to be personal and uncomfortable and very, very much meddling in your life and in mine, you probably ought to get up. I'm just telling you ahead of time. Today, if you don't want it to be personal, you don't want it to be meddling, then I'm going to tell you if you stay, the Lord is going to either deal with you in a positive way or you will leave here very upset. And so remember that I gave you a disclaimer before we started. And the title of the sermon this morning is The Danger of Me, Myself, and I. The Danger of Me, Myself, and I. We live in a world where there seems to be danger and fear and confusion everywhere. But the greatest danger that you face as an individual comes from the person that you look at in the mirror every morning. And this morning I want to talk to you about that. And today I really hope that you will remember that we go verse by verse, word by word. I can promise you six weeks ago when I started preparing this sermon, I didn't want to preach it then and I don't want to preach it now. But if I would come in today and say, I think we're going to skip and start chapter 15, many of you would be like, oh, okay, I wouldn't know where we were at anyway. But, but some of you would have been like, wait a second, what is happening here this morning? And usually when you go to the doctor or you hear a sermon, you hear the problem first and you walk through the diagnosis and then you see the answer. But today I want to do the exact opposite, and I want to show you the answer, what the hope is, and show you the danger when we start to slide away from that. The warning signs as we go from being where God wants us to be to where God doesn't want us to be. And I want to read two verses from the book of Psalm. If you want to flip over there, you can, or if not, they're going to be behind me. On Psalms 34, verses 4 and 5. And if you would, stand with me out of a reverence to the reading of God's Word. In verses 4 and 5 of Psalms 34, it says, I sought the Lord, and He heard me, and He delivered me from all my fears. They looked to Him and were radiant, and their faces were not ashamed. Pray with me. Father, today I come, Lord, asking that you would speak through your messenger. Father, that you would close my mouth to the things that doesn't need to be said. Open it to the things that do. Pray, Lord, that your spirit would begin to work and move in this congregation, in each and every one of our hearts today. And Lord, I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. And so the answer to the problem we're going to look at today is keeping our eyes on Jesus. Focusing on Him. Making sure that He 
is the one that you worship. And when that becomes a problem, I want to show you the slippery slope that comes from the danger of me, myself, and I. And if you're familiar with where we've been, God has been delivering the children of Israel. He delivered them through Jonathan and his armor bearer. He climbed up the cliff. We looked at how God had intervened numerous times. But today I want to show you in verse 23, and then we're going to jump into verse 24, how it was a good time to be a child of Israel, to be a child of God. In verse 23 it says, So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle shifted to Beth-Avon. But now, if you're taking notes this morning, and I want you to, if you would, write this down. Watch out when it becomes all about you. Watch out when it becomes all about you. Look what it says here in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 24. And the men of Israel were distressed that day. For Saul had placed the people under oath, saying, Cursed is the man who eats any food until evening. And I want you to hear these next few words because we see what happens when it becomes about us. Before I have taken vengeance on my enemies. So none of the people tasted food. This verse could have said from Saul's mouth, no one's going to eat until God destroys his enemies. It could have said, we're not going to eat till God gives us the victory. It could have said, we're not going to eat until God works in a mighty way. But I want you to see the wording that Saul uses here. He says, before who? I have taken vengeance on my enemies. Today I want you to hear this. Today, you probably don't say, I'm going to take vengeance on my enemies. It probably sounds something like this. I can't wait until God shows other people what I already know. That's all right. You don't have to acknowledge any of this today because it's right, okay? I know it's right. You might say it something like this. One day, those people are going to get what? What they deserve. Or we might even say it even nicer. What they've got coming to them. But listen to what he says there. We're not going to eat. None of us is going to eat until I take vengeance on my enemies. You say, Jake, I'm not wielding a sword. I'm not out beating down the doors of my enemies. Vengeance shows itself in three unique ways. Some of us have one of them, or some of us show it in all three. Write this down. Wanting vengeance sometimes leads to anger and wrath. Well, I'll tell you a thing or two about them. Or let me tell you how it really goes. Some of you even have a special vein that pops out of your head when you're angry. You know what? That's the least dangerous one. Because you know what I've noticed about most of us? When we are really angry, I mean like really angry, it is hard to what? Hide. Oh, our voice gets a little higher pitched. Face gets a little bit redder. Walk a little bit taller. 
We see that. The second way vengeance shows itself in us is sadness and unforgiveness. Have you ever seen someone that just is sad all the time? The world's out to get me. My neighbor has betrayed me. My friends have run off from me. It turns into sadness. And that sadness usually leads to unforgiveness. I can't believe that happened. I can't believe this went on. And this morning I want you to hear this. All of us sin and fall short. All of us have done the venging. And all of us have wanting to do the avenging. Now I don't think that's good English. But that's true. All of us have been the one that has been hurt. All of us have been the ones doing the hurting. All of us have been wronged. All of us have been doing the wrong. But the third way it reveals itself, and in the most discouraging, is this. Sometimes wanting vengeance leads to depression and giving up. I'm going to give you an individual, a marriage, a family, and a church example. How many times have you been hurt and been unwilling to trust someone ever again? You've given up. You've given up being willing to trust. How many of you have ever made a mistake in your marriage? Don't raise your hand. I know you never have. But how many times are we not willing to forgive what someone did to us in our marriage years ago? And eventually it works itself out like this. It's just not worth fighting for anymore. I'll go my separate way. You go your separate way. How many times has it happened at church? You get hurt by the pastor. You get hurt by the deacon. You get hurt by the Sunday school teachers. We're not ever going to go to church again. You see, that is the most discouraging. Because it reveals itself in three different ways. But listen to what Saul says there. I have taken vengeance on my enemies. Now I know this morning that none of you have any built up anger, built up any unforgiveness, or have come to the point where you say, I'm just going to quit. But can I tell you something? You know how I know this sermon was going to be uncomfortable? Because it was uncomfortable for me as I prepared it. It was uncomfortable for our family as I prepared it. And so today I want you to ask yourself that question. You can act like nothing's wrong, like you've never been hurt, like you've never hurt anybody else, like you've never pulled back in your relationships, you've never pulled back in how you love your spouse, you've never pulled back in how you love your church or your family around you. But friends, what I want you to know is whether you're the angry type, whether you're the unforgiving type, or whether you're the give up type, Friends, each one of those is because you have told God, I don't trust you to handle the battle that is in front of me. I'm going to take vengeance into my own hand. I'm going to tell you what I think. I'm going to tell you what I feel. I'm going to do what I think's best. I'm going to go where I want to. I am the captain of my ship. I'm in control of my life. God, I don't need you. And most of you would never admit to saying that. But when you tell God, I am going to take vengeance on my enemies, that's exactly what you've done. I believe the greatest threat to you, your marriage, your church family, the people you work with, is when you and I feel 
that vengeance is ours to take. Romans chapter 12, verses 17 and 20. I knew it was going to be quiet today because it was quiet in the first sermon. It doesn't bother me at all. In verse 17 it says, Repay no one. What did that say? No one. That means zero. That means nada. That means zilch. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not... This is my bad ear. I couldn't hear you anyway. Avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Now, I don't know about you, but that is probably one of my least favorite verses in the entire Bible. Not the doing good to your enemy so it makes them mad. That's fine with me. I can do that. But the Lord says... You don't avenge you. <laughs> now, I know I'm the only one that struggles with this today, and that's okay. The Lord made me preach it twice just for me. But everything in me says, Lord, I'll get on Facebook, and I will put the truth out there. Everybody can know it, and I'll win. Now, I'm glad it's not you. I don't have Facebook, so it's not an applicable illustration. Well, I, I'll be more than happy to tell Gary about how bad Levi's been to me. Let me tell you, it's been awful. It's not really been awful. You see, in that moment, what I have done is I have played the Avenger, and I don't mean the awesome Marvel movie kind. I have said I don't trust that God can work it out. I'm going to take it into my own hands. And what is happening is in our marriages, in our families, and in our churches, and in our lives, are, we are consumed with vengeance. Now, you don't have to amen this, but you know how I know that's true? Because I'm that way. Oh, let me tell you how it really is. How it really happened. How it really went. Let me tell you what I really think, what I really feel. And what God says is, no. God says this, trust me to fight the battle for you. You see, friends, you've got to make a decision today. Are you going to fight your battles? Or are you going to let the Lord fight them for you? Are you going to fight in your marriage? Or are you going to let the Lord work in the lives of your spouse? Are you going to fight in the church? Or are you going to let God Change the hearts of those people around you. Are you going to go to work and make your grievances known tomorrow morning? Are you going to trust that God would do the work? You see, look what it says here in verse 24. And the men of Israel were distressed that day. For Saul had placed the people under an oath saying, Cursed is the man who eats any food until evening before I have taken vengeance on my enemies. So none of the people 
tasted food. Watch out when it becomes about us. Second thing I want to show you this morning as we just go verse by verse through this text. When it becomes about us, if you're taking notes, when it becomes about me, it hinders how God wants to work. You see, it starts in the heart. When I take my eyes off Jesus, it starts in the heart. And the next part of that slippery slope is, not only is it my heart that's affected, but then it begins to hinder how God can use me. How God can use you. How God can work in your family. Look what it says here in verses 25 through 30. Now all the people of the land came to a forest, and there was, no, there was honey on the ground. And when the people had come into the woods, there was the honey dripping. Now I think that's there for a reason. These people were hungry. There's honey. It's dripping. It's like, give me some of that. All right? But listen. But no one put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard his father charge the people with the oath. Therefore, he stretched out the end of his rod that was in his hand and dipped it in the honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth. And his countenance brightened. Amen for food, right? Um, then one of the people said, Your father strictly charged the people with an oath, saying, Cursed is the man who eats food this day. And the people were faint. But Jonathan said, My father has troubled the land. Look now how my countenance has brightened because I tasted a little of this honey. How much better... If all the people had eaten freely today of the spoils of their enemies, which they found. For now, would, now don't miss this. For now, would there not have been a much greater slaughter among the Philistines? You see, Saul's vengeance. Saul's desire for him to have his scores settled Jonathan says, because of this oath, our victory wasn't as great as God could have made it. I want you to look up here. If you don't listen to anything else in my entire time here, listen to this statement. God did not save you to waste you. God saved you to use you for his glory. But the way that you waste what God has given you is when you make it about you. When it's about my hobbies, my feelings, my emotions, my wants, my desires. What you're telling God is, you don't know what's best for me. But you see what Jonathan said? Oh, the victory could have been so much more if Saul hadn't said, nobody's eaten. You see, today it might look different for you. It might not be that you've told your whole family we're not eating today. I've seen how most of you leave church on Sunday afternoon. You some hungry people. But imagine going to battle all day and war and fighting and, and people dying and people being killed and, and the, the energy and the exhaustion that would have happened. And then walking through a forest after you've already won and there's that honey. Just I'd be thinking biscuits. Biscuits for that honey. Oh, Cracker Barrel, where are you? 
That's what I'd be thinking. But they couldn't eat. They were terrified of what Saul would do. But God never told them they couldn't eat the honey. God never commanded them they couldn't enjoy that. Saul's vengeance had put them in a place where they were being hindered from accomplishing what God wanted them to accomplish. And friends, today, if you're here, and I don't know what the issue is, I don't know if it's unforgiveness, if it's fear, if it's a lack of trust in what God is doing in your life, if that is your heart today, it will hinder what God can do through you. You say, Jake, I don't have any talents. I don't have any gifts. I don't have any abilities to serve the God, to serve God. You need to quit believing a lie. God didn't save you to waste you. In your marriage today, I don't know what your marriage has been like. I don't know if it's been good, it's been bad. But today, if you won't forgive your spouse for leaving the toilet seat up in 1983, before I was born, friends, you are hindering the marriage that God wants for you. If you're here today and you cannot agree to spend money God's way, that means both of you, not one of you sneak the credit card and one of you sneak the debit card and hope at the end of the month there's enough money to cover it. Friend, anything in your life that you tell God, I am going to be in charge of, you are hindering what He will do in your marriage as a church. You've got to trust that God will fight for you. Whether you teach Sunday school, whether you sing in the choir, whether you stand up here, you have to believe that God is fighting for you. And if you've got vengeance and unforgiveness and, and fear and doubt in your heart, it will hinder the victories that God wants to win for this church. You say, Jake, I just don't believe that. I believe God does what he wants, and it doesn't matter what we think. Well, you can just think that, but I want to show you what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 13. Verse 13 and 14. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord, what? Would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people. Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. I believe God knew it was going to happen. I believe God allowed it to happen. But friends, I want you to look up here today. The only person that is hindering and grieving the Holy Spirit in your life today is you. The only people that are grieving and hindering the Holy Spirit of God from working in this church today are us. It's not the politicians. It's not the people in the community. It's this group of people. It's this man standing right here. So we've seen, look to Jesus. Keep your eyes on Him is the answer. When unforgiveness, when vengeance, when your way gets in your heart, it starts the slippery slope. Then it begins to hinder what God is doing in your life. And you say, that's awful, Jake. Yes, but it gets a whole lot worse. I want you to listen to the third and final point this morning. When we hinder how God works, it then leads to sin. It leads to sin. Listen to what it says 
in verses 31 to 33. Now they had driven back the Philistines that day from Michmash to Ajalon. So the people were very faint. And the people rushed on the spoil and took sheep, oxen, and calves and slaughtered them on the ground. And the people ate them with the blood. Then they told Saul, saying, Look, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood. You see, eating honey was not a sin. But eating an animal with the blood was. You see, what started out as just a statement by Saul ends up leading the entire army of Israel into sin. And see, friends, this morning, you might think that whatever you've got buried down in there that no one else knows about won't affect anybody but you. But friends, I want you to listen. It will. It'll start by, it'll start making you bitter to everybody. I can promise you, if you don't deal with your love or lack of love with people, it will make you never want to be around people again. You know how I know that? Because I think I would be okay never being around people again. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. Why? Because you get hurt. You get bitter. You don't forgive. You won't let it go. You won't move on. It starts in your heart. It says, Lord... I just wish you would do this. Lord, I wish you'd work this way. Lord, I wish you'd fix this situation. Lord, I wish that you'd make this happen. But it doesn't just stop there. Then it begins to affect how God can use you. I'm not going to Sunday school. Gary Browning made me mad. He said, I look fat in this shirt. He didn't, by the way. He just happens to sit on the front row. He's a glutton for punishment. That's how it starts. Maybe it was a real offense. Maybe someone lied to you. Maybe someone hurt you. Maybe when you were a child, something happened to you that's so horrific and so awful that it shouldn't ever happen. Maybe in your marriage, you're so hurt by infidelity in the marriage or whatever it is. And so the the issue is real. The heartache is real. The pain is real. The situation is real. But friends, you cannot control what other people do. You cannot control what other people say. You cannot control how other people treat you. And so in those moments, you have to make a choice. God, I'm going to ask you to forgive me and to forgive them. God, I'm going to ask that you'd help me to love myself and to love them. Because friends, if you don't, it starts in the heart. Lord, smite them all. Lord, if you just correct them, if you just straighten them out, Lord, if you just line them up, Lord, if you just change that, then that leads to, well, I can't serve in the nursery because I might have to serve with so-and-so. Oh, I'd work in the kitchen committee, but oh, someone else made a better cherry light than I did. And I, you know, Pastor Jake talks about it every week, so I'm not serving in the kitchen committee ever again. Well, I'd serve on the missions committee, but I'd have to go work on somebody's house, and, and they're in good health. They can't work on their own house. I'm not working on it. You see, those are evidences, but those aren't the real issue. Something inside. You see, it starts with hindering us, but then it eventually leads us to sin. Every month, on the first day of the month, I tell myself, I don't make a commitment to God because I learned a long time ago, that's, don't do that unless you mean it. 
Every day on the first day of the month, I make a commitment I'm going to try to eat healthier. Every month. And usually for about six hours, I eat salad. I do. And this is, not, this is serious. But you know what happens about six o'clock at night? I am so hungry. I mean, I'm like really hungry. Like, I mean, like, I eat 4,000 calorie hungry. And then I tell myself, Jake, come on. But what happens is here is the people of God got so hungry physically that they just tore right into those animals. They didn't care about the things of God. They didn't care about whether God was happy with them. They just tore right into it. And I want to show you this this morning. Because in this situation, everyone would have noticed who had been committing the sin. They would have killed the animals. There would have been blood all over them. There would have been blood on their mouth and their clothes. You'd have known them people had been wicked. But friends, just imagine how much different things would be if the sin in your heart could be seen on you. I wouldn't come out of the bathroom every morning. If it said on my heart, Jake thought this. Jake said this. I wouldn't come to church. See, I come to church, I put my suit on, my, my tie, I look pretty sharp. You know, got my even hanky, you know, got my hanky thing. I really, you know, I dressed up today for you. Look like I'm supposed to coming to church to preach. But friends, if you really knew the things that were in my heart from time to time, if it said right here, prideful. If it said right here, the time that I made fun of someone and really actually meant it. Because usually I just make fun of you and don't mean it, but sometimes my anger comes out in sarcasm, amen? It's not a good thing, but it happens. But if that really happened, you wouldn't go anywhere. But friends, I want you to know, eventually, even the hidden sin in your life that emotional baggage you've been pushing down, those years of unforgiveness that you've been pushing down, those years of anger and frustration that you've been pushing down, eventually a situation is going to happen and the top's coming off. Have you ever done something you said, oh, I can't believe I said that. Woo! Man, where did that come from? That come from years and years and years of you not dealing with the sin in your heart. Friends, that's how it is with churches. That's how it is with marriages. That's how it is with individuals. It starts in the heart. I want my vengeance. It then goes to hindering what God is doing. And then it turns into outright sin against God. You see, James tells it like this in James chapter 1. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. It starts in the heart. Then when that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So why do you think Saul was vengeful? Think he was vengeful at God? Think he was vengeful at himself? He was vengeful at the enemy. 
he was vengeful because the Philistines had come at him with a multitude of armies. And he had a few thousand. And he must not have been a great leader because when they came to attack, what did most of his army do? It ran and hid. And not only that, here he is sitting here at this tree with his 600 men. And his son Jonathan had the faith with one other man to take it to the Philistines. And, and now, here is Saul thinking the Philistines surrounded us, beat us up, made us look bad, made me look bad. And so guess what we're going to do? None of us are going to eat until I take vengeance on my enemies. You see, friends, it starts with our pride. Whether it's the job that you have, the reputation that you hold, the relationships that you have, when those areas are wronged toward us, we have two choices. We can trust God and forgive, or we can take charge and seek vengeance. And friends, today, vengeance leads you to be hindering God's work in your life, which then leads to outright sin. You say, well, Jake, I'm not the pastor. It doesn't affect us. Are you a parent? Husbands and wives, I want you to know it starts like this. Well, I don't know. We, we're just not very happy with our, our teacher at school. Or we're just not very happy with the pastor. Or we're just not very happy in, with our friends. And we're just not very happy with just whatever it is. And then it begins to hinder you. We won't go to church. We won't, we, won't, uh, we won't take our kids to the mall. We won't, we, we're, we're not going to let our kids be around anybody. We're not going to let our family be around anybody. We're going to pull back. I'm, I'm there. I told you a few weeks ago I had to repent because I can't even go to a place where I don't know where people are going to be. If I don't know the crowd that's going to be there, I can't go anymore. Anxiety eats me alive. So I'm, I'm speaking to me this morning if no one else has got this going on. And so then it hinders our relationships. It hinders our fellowship. But then it ends up teaching our children usually to be bitter at everyone. Don't go to your grandpa's because they hurt us in the 30s. Don't, don't go to your aunt and uncle's because they took grandma's inheritance. So you have to be very careful what one generation allows in their heart. Another generation begins to hinder. By the next generation it becomes sin. It happens that way at church. It happens that way at home. It happens that way in our life. And so today my challenge to you is not to, to ignore the fact that you've been hurt, that you've been broken, that you've been betrayed, that you're here today and you say, I just can't go one more day. That's not my answer to you today. The answer is to be honest enough to say, God, help me. God, forgive me. God, help me to forgive. Help me to love. Help me to not allow myself to want to be the one that fights my battles for myself. Lord, I trust that you'll fight for me. Lord, I trust that you'll take care of me. Lord, I trust that you know what is best for me. You see, if you'll do that today, God can show you that he's not done with you. God can begin to work in your marriage. 
God can begin to work in your family. God can begin to work in our church. God can begin to work in your place of employment. Or you can be like King Saul and say, oh, I'm going to get mine. It might take five years. It might take 10 years. It might take 15 years, but I'm going to get them one of these days. And friends, while that's in your heart, I want you just to hear me. Listen to me beg you today. It'll start that slope. It'll start that slope to where it begins to hinder your walk with God. It begins to hinder your service to God. It begins to hinder your fellowship with other people. It will begin to hinder, but it won't level off and hinder. It will eventually lead to sin. That's why it said there that when sin starts, it starts in our desires. Then it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it brings death. Today, the greatest thing you could do is come to Jesus and say, Lord, forgive me of whatever has happened to me. Lord, help me to forgive those who have done it to me. Lord, help me to, to, to ask forgiveness to you for what I've done to you. And start there. Friends, because if we don't, it might take five years. It might take 10 years. It might take 20 years. It might take 30 years. It might take 40 years. But eventually what started as keeping our eyes on Jesus ends up in full-on sin and rebellion against Him. Most people don't wake up one morning and say, boy, I hope I can ruin my marriage today. You ask any newlywed on their first day of marriage and be like, how bad do you really want this to be? And someone go, well, I hope it's as bad as it can be. I hope we fight all the time. I hope we, we don't have any uh, intimate love life. I hope that our parents hate each other. I hope our kids grow up spiteful to our... No one does that. But what starts out is a little bit of family friction. Then turns into a lot of family friction. Then it turns into bitterness and unforgiveness and resentment. And then by the time your children are grown... They think it's a sin to love their own family. Yeah, I'm meddling today and it don't bother me at all. Because why? I believe it is affecting all of us. And it has affected all of us. Or if it hasn't yet, it will. And the choice is yours. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Ask Him to forgive you. Ask Him to forgive me. Ask Him to fight my battles for me. Because I don't know about you, when my kids get old and they come to visit me at my bedside before I leave this world, I don't want them to say, Dad, you made us an emotional cripple by refusing to deal with the issues that you raised us with. I don't want that. I don't want your kids to grow up in this church and one day look back and be like, Jake, I got some spiritual issues because you wouldn't deal with the spiritual issues that you had. You see, friends, the choice that we make is today. Today. Saul made a choice one day and later on it cost them greatly. Don't let that be said about your family.
Don't let that be said about your marriage. Don't let that be said about your church. Today, seek God's forgiveness, grace, and mercy, no matter what has happened. Stand with me today as you bow your heads. Father, I pray today for this congregation. I thank you for your words, Lord, in this text, not mine. And I pray today, Lord, that you would begin to work in hearts. Lord, today that maybe there's someone here that is saying, I've never received forgiveness and hope and love. I've always been fighting my battles. I've been carrying this baggage since I was a kid. We've been carrying this baggage as a couple for decades. Lord, today I pray that you'd give them the courage to come and give it to you. Say, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to overcome it, but Lord, I believe that you can. Father, today, whatever hurt and bitterness and brokenness that we have, Lord, let it today be the day that we give it to you. Father, I pray for that person that's here that's saying, I don't understand what love even is. I've never trusted Jesus. I've never understood what this was. Father, show them today that you knew the pain they would go through, the brokenness they would go through, and you died for them anyway. Lord, show them that you love them so much that you died on the cross, that you were buried, and that you rose again, that they could find forgiveness no matter where they've been, what's been done to them, or what they've done to others. Father, let this be the day that your Holy Spirit draws them to yourself. Father, whatever goes on today, Lord, I pray that you would get the glory and the credit and the honor. And if I failed you in any way during this time, I ask your forgiveness. And I ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Today, as you have been listening to this sermon, maybe you have been thinking, the Holy Spirit's been working, that I'd like to know more about Jesus. I'm not sure if I've ever been saved. Please reach out and contact us. We would love to share the gospel with you pray with you with whatever's going on in your life. Or maybe you are a believer, but yet you've got some spiritual battles that you've just not been able to conquer. We'd love to join you in that battle. So please, reach out to us. We would love and are waiting to hear from you. May God richly bless you in Jesus' name.